Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you a few things that are happening on The Ringer. First of all, our extensive World Cup coverage this week. We have stories from Ryan O'Hanlon about the takeaways from the round of 16 matches over the weekend. Michael Bauman is writing on English manager Gareth Southgate. And make sure you check out Shea Serrano's ode to the Mexico soccer team, which just lost today, unfortunately. And also, as you may have heard, LeBron James is going to Los Angeles to be a Laker. Make sure you check out the Ringer NBA show. They did an episode the day of the signing, which was yesterday, and they'll have new episodes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now on to the show. Yo, yo, yo! Ringer FC World Cup edition. Knockout round continues. I'm here with Ryan O'Hanlon. What's up, Ryan? Roberto Martinez makes Pep Guardiola look like Bruce Arena. That's my take. <laughs> Martinez the god. We just watched what I think is the best match of the World Cup so far in terms of end-to-end excitement, emotional highs and lows, narratives. I mean, it seems like we say that nearly every episode, but Ryan, we just watched... Belgium beat Japan on literally the last kick of the game. Was it literally the last kick of the game? It was. Did they kick off after that goal? I think they did, and then it ended. So 3-2, to two, Belgium won, coming back from two goals down. And by virtue of that win, they're going on to play Brazil in the half bracket of death in the quarterfinal. Now, let me just set the stage for you, uh, listeners, because Japan was up 2-0 to nil after... Second half goals from Haraguchi and Takashi Inui in the first seven minutes of the second half. So Japan was winning. Underdog Japan was beating Belgium 2-0 to nil in the second half. Everybody was getting their Belgium are chokers tweets loaded up. People were getting the sack ready for Roberto Martinez. At the 65th minute, down two, Martinez brings on Marion Fellaini and Nasser Chadley for Carrasco and Dries Merton. At this point, Ryan, what were you thinking? What were you thinking at this exact moment? <laughs> Let me just read back my reaction. In all caps, Nasser Chadley and Marouan Fellaini, are you fucking kidding me? That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, it's the 65th minute when these two gentlemen come on. Uh, Belgium is having chance after chance after chance, but just can't finish. Roberto Martinez is looking increasingly perplexed and desperate on the sideline, and somehow they pull it out. How did they pull it out? Uh, I think it was a combination of good fortune and just this team's ability to cram so many attacking players onto the field and just bury a team under pressure. Um, I think the Belgium, if Belgium had to push forward down two goals and have to push kind of as much as you have to push to get two goals back as opposed to one. I think maybe Japan nicks a third and the game's over. They got that header from Jan Vertonghen in the 69th minute, which doesn't really matter whether he meant it or not. He headed it back across the box. You know, what, what was he, you know, 20, to 25 yards from goal. Yeah, he definitely nestles, didn't mean that. Nestles but. into the back post. And then once you're down down one, I think it's just a totally different game and the sort of calculus you have to make is different. Um and Marlon Fellaini just <laughs> how many know? how many I mean you know we talk about Fellaini a lot mostly jokingly on this pod but how many times we've seen him do that a lot I mean like he somehow gets his head on balls and scores crucial goals and it's just kind of amazing he has that ability to just 
do clutch headers at clutch times. Yeah, he's the the ultimate plan B. But I think I think why it's so clutch is because he's not, or why you, it seems like it's happening in clutch moments so much is one because he's comes being, on late usually com- being put on in a situation where he's expected to do that, and then two, it's just different, right? Like if it's a striker starting furthest up the field, a tall striker, and you're playing the ball to his head, all of the defenders are expecting it, but Fellini's never actually playing up top exactly, so he's kind of making late runs into the box, and you have these midfielders who aren't as adept at dealing with balls in the air, having to track him in, and it lets him get get ahead of steam, too, I think, and it just was like, it, it, it that goal, it looked like it was like a, a an adult playing in a U12 game. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that that's particularly effective against a short team, relatively short team like Japan. And and when Belgium was fighting to come back and throwing balls into the box, it looked like it could be a goal at any time with Lukaku in there. Like, um, So the third goal, though, the last goal of the game, uh, I mentioned that it was like Landy Cake's goal against Algeria, but actually important. Uh, it was <laughs> an amazing you know, five-on-two counterattack. Uh, Nasser Chadley, is, the substitute, is the one who scored. But, Ryan, I think you were pointing out Lukaku, Romelu Lukaku, the striker, was the guy to watch as that play unfolded. What what did he do to kind of create that play? So the ball gets rolled to, I think, Kevin DeBruta, who's kind of dribbling up the middle of the field. And Lukaku is, he starts off kind of on the right side of the field and kind of makes a diagonal, almost horizontal run to the left. And it pulls one of the Japanese defenders toward him, which opens all the space for Thomas Mounier to run into, who De Bruyne then plays the through ball to in the box. And then as the ball's going to Mounier, Lukaku loops his run back around and runs toward Mounier, which pulls another defender back toward him in the box. Mounier plays it to Lukaku, who has a guy on him, and Lukaku dummies it, and Nasser Chadley runs into the space that the defender who was following Lukaku was in and finishes it. It was just... Uh, you know, that that just shows you where soccer statistics fall short. Like, Lukaku right. created all of that space for his teammates and didn't touch the ball. But he won't get credit for it on the stat sheet. What a dummy that was. I mean, I know I say best goal of the tournament every episode as well, but <laughs> in terms of, like, a team goal, that was, like, a beautifully executed team goal. I totally agree. And just given that it was... How often in soccer do you see, like, you know, Japan's taking a corner and it's injury time, so it's kind of like... Oh shit, Japan, you know, maybe they pull this off at the end and then 30 seconds later Japan is out of the World Cup, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I was telling you off air that on one hand I was kind of like cuz watching Japan even up 2-0, they didn't try to kill the game. I mean, this is the team that was passing it around their own half against Poland in their <laughs> last match just to get to the round of 16. Yeah. But even up 2-0 against uh, you know, as an underdog, they were still attacking to the very end. So part of me was like, this is how I want to see an underdog play as opposed to, say, Russia versus Spain over the weekend. But then part of me is like, it's a little bit suicidal. I mean, I don't know if, if you were the Japanese manager for that last play that led to the goal, to the to the Belgian third goal, would you maybe suggest a short corner to kill the game? Let's get to extra time and possibly penalties? I don't know if I would have went with a short corner and just kind of held it in the corner, but I would have maybe not committed as many numbers forward because you just right. got to have you just got to have someone back to foul whoever gets the ball basically because then if you just foul in the games it's going to go to injury time, but instead Courtois literally just rolled it straight down the center of the field to De Bruyne. Um which like at least even the Landon Donovan goal Tim Howard had to kind of make a pretty nice, like, long throw down the sideline. This was just Courtois literally just rolling it like a bowling ball. And Japan just, they just should have had someone in that position to kind of 
kill the playoff in case the corner didn't work out. And it also just shows you the kind of what happens when you don't execute, you know, hitting it yeah. right to Courtois created that. If it was just over hit or under hit, you know, that this goal probably never happens. Yeah. But, you know, to Japan's credit, I mean, they went from kind of a feel bad team or the team that nobody thought. I mean, they got into the round of 16 based on having fewer yellow cards than Senegal. But after this game, I think they earned a lot of fans or they gained a lot of fans just for the way they played. But despite Belgium going through and, you know, we should credit them for their comeback, the way Japan jumped to that lead exposed, I guess, the issue that everyone has with Belgium is that their wingbacks are nowhere to be seen in defense. And those acres of space were behind them, you know, and, and Japan exposed that. Yep. First, I mean, I think we should, both of Japan's goals were really nice finishes, but I think you can still say that despite them being nice finishes, they also, like you just said, exposed weaknesses in Belgium where on the first goal, Haraguchi gets into the space to the left of Jan Vertonghen, where, which is where your wingback, Yana Carrasco, should be, but Yana Carrasco's a, <laughs> a winger, you know, who's playing wingback. So that was where all the space was. And then on, on the second goal, Inui, another great finish, he gets the ball kind of where you would expect a defensive midfielder to be. And I think we all, I still have some questions about what Belgium's midfield even is. So, so I think, you know, the, the two goals were great finishes, but they also showed what was, what Belgium's issues are. Yeah. I mean, Martinez after the game, right after the game, I'll just read a quote from him. He said, you have to congratulate Japan. Well, he said, that's what happens in the World Cup. You have to congratulate Japan. They played the perfect game. They were so solid. They frustrated us. Then they were clinical in the counter. It was a test of the team. The reaction of everyone wanting to get back in the game to win the game tells you everything about this group of players. So uh, it doesn't sound like he's really thinking his tactically. Yeah. Uh, he did anything wrong, more just Japan's be Japan being clinical in the finish. So... Um, it doesn't seem like, I don't think he, there is a, a different plan. I mean, this is what Martinez has been doing since he's taken over. Yeah. I mean, he's, he put on Chadley for Carrasco, which is just another basically winger for winger at, at wing back. And then right. Chadley and Fellaini are like his two subs that he, he, he seems to be first off the bench and Dembele, I guess is kind of a little bit lower on that. Yeah. Which is, I, I don't quite understand, but you know, it's, <laughs> It's fun. All the Belgium games are going to be fun, basically. Like, there's yeah. no way they're going to play a boring 0-0 game yeah. because and of Martinez. So thank you for that, at least. And their next match really promises to be fun because it's the quarterfinal on Friday, which will be played against Brazil. Brazil beat Mexico today 2-0, uh, two second-half goals. I called today's match the Neymar show because he was at doing everything. He had what I would call a Neymar hat trick, which is a goal— <laughs> an assist, and one super-exaggerated feigned injury role <laughs> that instantly became memes. Um, but Neymar was everywhere today, created five chances. And Brazil, you know, I mean, Mexico started very strongly, I would say, kind of like how they did against Germany and looked dangerous. Um, but at, at the end, they didn't really create anything. And, and uh, it was just two nice finishes for Brazil that made the difference. Yeah, it seems to be kind of a a running trend for Brazil's games where they, whether they feel the game out, they let their opponent kind of blow off all their steam in the first 20 minutes, and then as the game goes, they just push them deeper and deeper and deeper and start creating better and better chances. Um, 
I mean, maybe it's a coincidence that all of the best chances they create are just at the end of the game, and in their next game, they're going to just be blowing the doors off from the opening whistle. But, yeah, it's the... It was kind of striking to see how dominant Mexico seemed for the first probably 20 minutes of the game. Right. But then it's they ended the game with one shot on target. Right. You know? As Bill Walton says, never mistake activity for achievement. That's that's a great, that's <laughs> perfect representation of this game, I think. But, when, when, you know, it's, it's like Brazil just chips away and chips away. And it's like no matter who has the ball around the final third, whether it's Coutinho or Neymar or Willian, it's like it's just dangerous. And eventually it seems like it, as it has in this, in this for this World Cup so far, that skill tells. And, and it did so today against Mexico. Yeah, I, I the first goal, Neymar's goal, was that's one of my favorite goals of the World Cup so far. Where and it, it speaks to what you're saying, where you know Willian is nominally the right winger, Neymar's the left winger. Neymar dribbles across the top of the box. Willian runs toward him. Neymar kind of heel passes it into space. Willian runs onto the ball and is now on the left wing. Neymar loops around to the back right post, and Willian plays on the ball, and Neymar taps it in. So. Uh, it, it was just, uh, you know, it, it involved so much patience and coordination between the players that it was just, uh, I, I love a goal like that. And your boy Bobby Firmino got on the score sheet. He did, he did. I mean, I follow way too many Liverpool fans on Twitter, so like the entire conversation about the Brazilian national team is that they're failing because Firmino isn't playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, it's just, that says it all, like... Firmino is one of the best strikers in the world, one of the best in the Premier League, and Brazil can bring him off the bench against tired legs for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, some more loose notes from this game. Uh, Guillermo Ochoa, eight shots saved, great saves, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm quoting Ryan here in Slack. Ochoa was like Tim Howard versus Belgium, except he's actually making tough saves. <laughs> wow, a lot of U.S. U.S. soccer shade today. Just for fun, though. We love the U.S. men's national team. Do we? Um, <laughs> Uh, a couple of the Mexico guys, including Chicharito, Carlos Salcedo, Miguel Leon, blonde hair, Romania 98 style. What'd you think? Uh, <laughs> it was just hilarious to see Leon with his platinum hair stomping on Neymar's ankle uh, <laughs> on the sideline. <laughs> I, I have to imagine that Chicharito and maybe even Salcedo were like, hey, Chucky, uh, you know, Bella, you, you guys should go blonde. And they were like, nah, chill. They were probably trying to do like a team blonde thing and people were just like, nah. Yeah, I, I I question a team where the captain isn't kind of just like, guys, just just don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they will do a sex party. They will not exactly. pick their hair, exactly. hair blonde. And then also finally uh, for this game, Casemiro got another yellow. So he's out for the quarters, which would be pretty bad for any other team, but not for Brazil, right? I mean, it's still bad for Brazil, but they, you know, Fernandinho is not going to come in, so. Yeah, I mean, it's never good when you lose one of your starters, but it's, you know, the one guy who can do Casemiro's job is also on Brazil, so. Did did Marcelo seem, Marcelo, the Brazilian left back, who uh, is hurt and was replaced by Felipe Luis, did you notice his absence? Because Luis is obviously a different type of player, not as attacking. Yeah, I think you notice it when... There just weren't many moments with Felipe Luis combining with Coutinho and Neymar on the left, and when Marcelo's in there, that's that trio is basically just dominating the majority of the attacking thrust. So I think you just see it from like, you know, you see Felipe Luis get the ball, and he'll maybe just make a simple pass, and you won't think anything of it. 
But then if Marcel is in that position, he's usually making like a probing ball forward and then running off of it or trying to beat someone. So I, th- I think uh, the lack of activity is kind of where you saw it. We're going to preview this match in depth later in the week, but just quick off the top, Brazil, Belgium. Brazil. Brazil. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about what happened over the weekend. Hey, guys, before we get back to Ringer FC, we wanted to tell you a little bit about Lisa. Celebrate July 4th with a premium foam mattress designed, assembled, and manufactured in the USA. Lisa leveraged 30-plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and all sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. That's more than 26,000 mattresses and counting. Lisa strives to leave the world better than they found it, but that doesn't stop with mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell and are committed to planting one million trees by 2025. I've got my own Lisa. It was delivered in a box. You just roll it out, plop it on your bed frame, and then boom, you've got the most comfortable mattress you'll ever have. I promise. So hurry up. The Lisa July 4th mattress sale won't last long. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash FC today. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash FC for $160 off. Lisa, a better place to sleep. So, Ryan, you wrote, as you always do after the weekend in the World Cup, about what happened over that weekend. We had two round of 16, two sets of round of 16 matches on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, I'd call it the soccer is a team sport day. That's, <laughs> that's the day that both Messi and Ronaldo were knocked out by France and Uruguay, respectively. Was, did I say Ronaldo first or Messi first? Uh, I forget. If you want to just do it over. Okay, three, two, one. Saturday is what I would call soccer as a team sport day. That's the day we saw Messi and Ronaldo knocked out of the World Cup by France and Uruguay, respectively. Yesterday, Sunday, was a day of practicing your penalties, or you should practice your penalties. We saw two penalty shootouts, two kind of boring games. Uh, Russia, of course, the host nation, upset Spain. And Croatia, on an Ivan Rakitic penalty, uh, defeated Denmark. Let's talk about the first set of games first, though. France and Uruguay's victories over Messi and Ronaldo, respectively, although it's a team sport. (laughs) Ryan, you wrote in your column, quote, the best players possess the ball for maybe three minutes per match, and individual success only impacts a fraction of overall team success. Seems kind of self-evident, but what did you take away from uh, Argentina and Portugal losing on Saturday? I think it's just that, you know, one player can only affect the game so much um, because there are 11 players on the field. And I think... Would would you say, uh, sorry to cut you off, but would you say that, I mean, I don't know, I hate to have to ask you to do this, but would you say one player more than the other between Messi and Ronaldo was more complicit, I guess, in his team's demise? You know what, I... I guess you would just say Ronaldo because Messi actually Messi had two assists. <laughs> so from like a production standpoint, at least Messi produced something, and Ronaldo was kind of left to speculative shots outside the box. I don't think he had a touch against Uruguay, but I, I don't, I don't really blame one or the other um, in any way. It's it's just the both of those teams. I think Argentina is just such a terribly flawed team. I think you said this in that like. Every team has played their best game against Argentina, basically. Yeah. I guess other than Nigeria, but even 
even that, you know, even Niger- Argentina looked decent. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like just you know the it was Mbappe's coming out party, but it was <laughs> it was Mbappe's coming out party because the path to the party was literally just wide open and he could run 75 yards downfield with the ball at his feet through a midfield that just couldn't keep up with him, which is just, it's just not a thing that you really see happen in soccer that often. A guy just running (laughs) that deep down the center of the field. Um, And I think Uruguay, I think Uruguay just is a, I mean, I guess you kind of saw with Uruguay, they're Portugal, they're sort of similar teams. um, But Uruguay has the kind of, they have the two world-class uh, attackers and Portugal only had Ronaldo and it's like right. the first goal was a you know 40 six, 40 to 50 yard pass from Cavani to Suarez and then a 30 yard pass from Suarez back to Cavani one of the best given goes I've ever seen so so I think it doesn't it doesn't say it to me the games don't say anything about Ronaldo and Messi um right I think they just say that if your team is better, um, it doesn't matter if the other team has the best player on the field. And, and you still don't believe in France, but we'll move on. <laughs> R- Russia and Croatia on penalties. Um, Spain, Tiki Krapa. <laughs> <laughs> Croatia and Denmark had an amazing shootout as far as drama goes. Um, but, you know, what, what's your takeaway from that set of games? Takeaway from Spain, Russia is that did the right teams win? Actually, maybe is the question I should ask. Uh, I think Croatia, Denmark. It's probably fifty fifty ish, but the the I mean, cro- <laughs> most of the time Croatia wins the game because one they have a guy through and through on goal past the keeper, um, and typically that leads to a goal, whether or not it's the guy tapping it in or the penalty leading to a goal, and it didn't, but. Overall, the balance of play with that game was was pretty even in my mind. Um, right, I agree. Spain and Russia, it's another example of like, yes, Spain wins that game more often than not, but also like we saw what was wrong with Spain in, you know, HD, basically, wh- where it was just, it's still, I, I can't believe that they completed over a thousand passes in a game. Like, I, it's just, it's almost an impossible thing to really comprehend what that even means but it was 11 of them went into the penalty area and it was just you know you don't know you don't know what the manager is saying and you don't know it's impossible to know what kind of impact he's having exactly but in this game it it really just looked like a team without a manager it's all of these guys that know how to possess the ball and know how to pass the ball without any real direction or kind of general really thought behind why they were passing beyond uh, we should just keep the ball. There was no end point. Right. Uh, Speaking of the shootouts, uh, there was a Guardian article about this today, actually, that there's a FIFA rule, and I'll quote the rule here, the defending goalkeeper must remain on the goal line facing the kicker between the goalposts until the ball has been kicked. And in both shootouts, (laughs) goalkeepers are just basically, you know, definitely not on the goal line until the goal is kicked. Do you think will any referee will have the sack to call that out, or maybe now that we're having now that there's more attention on this rule breach, there might be one? Yeah, I think now that there's more attention, we might see it. Some people were asking if uh, VAR can check that. It, it's not though; they can't. And if it could, that would just be a nightmare. I think every penalty reviewed by VAR. 
I mean, I, I, I guess if you're going to have VR, why not? But like, it's just like, we don't, here's we my, don't, we don't need that. Just yeah, here, here's my solution. You just for the shootouts, you put like an electric dog collar type thing on the goalie. <laughs> and it's like, if he leaves his line, it, it shocks him. <laughs> I, I support that. that. <laughs> I don't think the players union would go for that, but, uh, I'm in. Um, so let's look at the weekend. It's just some quick news and notes before we preview tomorrow. Mo Salah, five-year contract with Liverpool through 2023. In one word, how do you feel about that, Ryan? Incredible. Mario Fellaini, great couple days for him. He just re-upped with United. Not a great day for Micah, maybe. Two years. <laughs> Poor Micah. <laughs> I have a stat here. I saw it on Twitter. No player remaining in the World Cup has ever played in a World Cup final. That's kind of an amazing stat. It's going to be a bunch of newbies, no matter who plays. I'm excited for that. We, what do we do when uh, we can't fall back on talking about experience? Yeah, exactly. And how important that is. Speaking of experience, leaving international play or retiring from their international clubs, Javier Mascherano, finally. <laughs> Lu- Lucas Biglia, barely made a mark. And Andres Iniesta, of course, who scored the 2010 World Cup final winner. Uh, so farewell to them. Three uh, retirements that uh, maybe could have come before the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and he has to nail this penalty. No, that's true. Respect to him. Sampioli, no surprise, reportedly out as Argentina manager. Uh, news suggests that Ricardo Greco of Peru, who managed Peru, the feel-good team, one of the feel-good teams of this tournament, or Marcelo Gallardo of River Plate could be taking over. Any opinion on that? I'd like to see Goreca mainly because he's the polar opposite of Sampaioli. Sampaioli looks like a a bouncer at a a terrible, <laughs> bo- uh, terrible <laughs> Buenos Aires nightclub, and Goreca looks like you know an English professor from <laughs> Williams College. So, yeah. uh, William, shout out Purple Cows. <laughs> uh, there's news that Alexander Golovin, he's the Russian starlet who has been impressive this World Cup, might be going to Chelsea. Uh, and, you know, they might be announcing, Chelsea might be announcing a new manager, Maurizio Sarri, and the purchase of Golovin in the next week or so. And people are looking at him as possibly a replacement for Sesk or to back up Sesk until Sesk moves on. What's the over-under on goals scored by Golovin next season if he's at Chelsea? <laughs> Should we do over-under on goals or appearances? Uh, I think appearances might be better. <laughs> Say like 11. <laughs> 11? Yeah, I'll take the under on that. Uh, according to multiple reports, Mbappe, Kylian Mbappe, who of course had his coming out party on Saturday, is donating all of the proceeds he's making at the World Cup to charity. It's a charity whose name I will not try to pronounce, but it's a, a charity that organizes sports activities for children with disabilities. Amazing. I love it, but I'm also yeah. dreading all of the uh, everyone else's selfish takes that'll come. Yeah, on like, you know the what about Pogba's next. Exactly. But, uh, Can't yeah. wait. Um, here's a trivia question for you, Ryan. I heard this on, a uh, another podcast actually, so I'm stealing it from them, but every number, we talk a lot about numbers, like player jersey numbers, kit numbers. What's the only number besides number one that hasn't scored in the World Cup yet? Because number one is obviously usually a goalkeeper's number. From one to 11? From one to 23. One to 23. Wow. Oh my God. Uh... You can just have one guess, and then I'll tell you. Let's say two. Nope, it's number 12. 
And number 12 is typically also like a backup keeper's number. So there's not that many outfield players that wear number 12. But of the teams remaining, we have Tolisso of France, Marcelo, who's injured but may play in the next match for Brazil, and Kieran Trippier, the Barry Beckham for England. (laughs) Which of the three do you think is most likely to get 12 off the schneid? You know what? I'm going to actually say Trippier just because he's heavily involved in free kicks. (laughs) That's That's a pretty good choice. That's that's just, we're defaming Thierry Henry's legacy with this statistic. <laughs> we totally are. Uh, and speaking of England, before we preview their match tomorrow, uh, reports out of England are that there's been a 35% uptick on sales of waistcoats, <laughs> which we call in America vests. And that's because of the Gareth Southgate effect. Of course, the English manager is known to wear a waistcoat on the touchline. What do you think of that look? I don't love it. I don't love the... Um, is it pe- Peaky Blinderish? kind of? Yeah, it's a little too much for me. It's a little too, like, uh, car- blackjack dealer from, like, 1950. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a best-dressed manager of the tournament so far left? I thought Yero, Fernando Yero, looked pretty good in his suit. Um, of course, Spain are gone now. Deschamps this is very kind of white shirt, navy suit type of guy. I like Oscar Tabarez just because he has a cane, if that counts as best dressed. That counts. That counts. One more set of round of 16 matches to go. Of course, tomorrow, Tuesday, Sweden versus Switzerland in the early game. And then the big one, Colombia versus England. I couldn't be rooting more for Colombia, Ryan. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't have anything particularly against England, but I just think everyone making so much about England having a clear shot to the final or the semifinal and overlooking Colombia makes me want Colombia to win. What do you think? I'm into that. I mean, your your uh, English language team bias is showing through on this podcast. First the U.S., <laughs> now England. Uh, uh, Ryan, one player on Colombia that you and actually a lot of people that know soccer are pointing out has been playing well this tournament is Juan Quintero. He's 25 years old, left-footed mid- midfielder, he plays for Porto, but has been on loan and kind of struggling on the club level. But in this World Cup, he's been really good. And what 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 is it about him that you like so much? I like him just because he's kind of that dying breed of attacking midfielder who, for him, it feels like, you know, the seconds on the clock tick by, like, slightly slower than they do for everyone else. And he he's just not super athletic. He's not a very good defender necessarily, not an active defender. And those players have kind of just been phased out of the game. But just because of the way Colombia's team is, it works for Quintero. And he he's the guy that makes... I feel like James Rodriguez, he's always making these impossible-looking passes, but you can see them when he makes them. He just executes it perfectly. While Quintero... Like, multiple times a game, he'll make a pass where I'll just be like, I just had no idea that that was even possible, um, given the the shape of the defense. So he just surprises me every game. And he, yeah, he's you, just, you love a great through ball. I do. Actually, I, I, I didn't mention but earlier in the news bit, but about Southgate, a Wall Street Journal story today said that, you know, everyone's been talking about how England's been so innovative with their set-piece plays that he was inspired by going to a... Timberwolves Pelicans game, uh, but the night before the Super Bowl, and I guess he was, you know, impressed by what Tibbs was doing out of timeout. <laughs> if he's impressed by what Tibbs is doing, he'll 
bring back all of the guys he coached in Middlesbrough <laughs> to play for England. <laughs> for Colombia, um, James, we still don't know whether he's going to start or not, uh, but there's no muscle tear, so that's good news. Um, I'm guessing he might start and give it a go and then see how it is 30, 40 minutes in, or he might be an impact sub. Um, on the England side, no lineup has been set yet, but I know the debate raging on English radio shows, Sterling or Rashford. What say you? Sterling. For me, it's not not even a question. Uh, I've, I think I've said it every podcast we've talked about him and Rashford. Uh, Sterling had more goals and assists this season than Rashford has had in his entire career. So, so it's not even a question to me, but um, that's how it goes. Um, do you have a prediction for this? I'm going to give you my prediction first. I think Colombia is going to win on penalties. Um, I actually read one thing that is set reportedly is the penalty order for England. Harry Kane, Kieran Trippier, Jordan Anderson, Jamie Vardy, if he gets subbed on, and Deli Ali. I think Yerimina Who, is going to Who's most likely score. to hit, that into the, hit their penalty into the stands out of that five? Kane will hit his, Trippier will miss, Hendo will miss, Vardy <laughs> will nail his, and then it'll probably be over before it even gets to Deli Ali. That's, that's a very thorough prediction. And yeah. I appreciate I that. I think Mina's going to score off a set piece because I think he's just going to like out-muscle Harry Maguire and <laughs> somehow. And, and score, and then maybe Sterling will score to to confuse English journalists, and then it'll go to penalties. Yeah, and then the headline after the game will be, why did Raheem Sterling not take a penalty? <laughs> <laughs> no, but jokes aside, I, I actually think England have a very, very good chance of winning this match. Um, what do you think? I do too, especially since we, it's just, if we knew James was going to be fully healthy, playing 90 minutes at full strength, it's a different calculation. I think it's almost a guarantee that he's not playing the game at full strength, but I think it was also a guarantee that he didn't play the Poland game at full strength, and he was still, you know, that might have been the best individual performance of any player so far this tournament. So that, I think with that, I just naturally side with England, Um, even though we just... It's still tough because Panama and Tunisia sucked and <laughs> they didn't play their starters against Belgium. So, And yeah, I mean, England haven't played, I mean, I guess with the exception of the Belgium friendly, uh, a team with the attacking talent of Colombia yet with Cuadrado and Falcao. And I think it could be a really good match. Yeah, I, I think it, uh, I think it'll, it'll be a good bookend to the round of 16. We should say a word for the first game, though. Sweden, Switzerland. We shouldn't uh, just Sean, Sean, Fen- Sean Fennessy's <laughs> favorite team, Switzerland. Switzerland will be missing a couple of starters. Fabian Schaar is one. Steven Licksteiner, new Arsenal man, will be out. Johan Giroud, former Arsenal man, is going to be in the starting lineup now, which I don't know if that's good <laughs> or bad for Switzerland. Uh, actually, another former Arsenal man, Sebastian Larsson, for Sweden, is out. Wow. This is my call for this game. I have a feeling we've been talking a lot. Of, we saw Xhaka's wonder goal. We've been talking a lot about Shakiri, But the guy I think is going to be the difference maker today. I mean, not today, on Tuesday. Brie Limbolo. He's another football manager hero. <laughs> He's only 21 years old. He plays his club soccer for Schalke. Originally from Cameroon. He's the kind of the guy that's been the next guy for Switzerland for a while now. He actually started the last group game. Played decently well. He probably won't start um, against Sweden, but I'll see him coming at, coming on as an impact sub. And this is another side note here. 
which could be related. His daughter was just born this past Thursday, and I think he's going to have dad strength, dad power. Usually when athletes have kids, I think they do really well. Isn't that statistically true? Uh, 100%. Numerous studies have proven it. <laughs> also, respected. fancy fancy stats. Got it. <laughs> Fabian Delph is uh, supposedly going to leave the England squad. So I heard. Yeah, I actually heard him uh, do an interview about that, where his his wife, I guess, or his partner is expecting, and even if it coincides with the match day, he's going to go. Yeah. Well, I think he's actually gone. Oh, he is gone. Yeah. So shout out to Breland Bolo for not caring about his family. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. But for Fabian Delph, that would. Be he wouldn't be starting, right? I mean, is that Danny Rose spot? Yeah, I don't think he'd be starting, but I, there's a world where he still gets in the game. That's true. That's true. Uh, family comes first, right? Yes, that is very true. But Sweden, what do you make of the Sweden Switzerland match? Do you think it's going to be? I mean, a lot of people were circling this one as the one that you can skip as far as the round of 16s go. I does think Sweden, does Sweden have a chance. I think they do. I, I I kind of am talking myself into Sweden as a dark horse for the final. That's as far as I go. I won't make any predictions, but like Sweden, their numbers are pretty good. Their uh, their defense really rarely gets broken down, and they're actually like when they they don't attack often. Um, but when they do attack, they're pretty direct, and they can get behind the opposition fullbacks and center backs. Really well, you kind of there are numbers that kind of show bypassed defenders with passes or dribbles, and they were the f- third best team in that regard uh, in the group stages, and they take a lot of just good shots. So, especially keeping with the team matters more than the individual theme. Would there be anything better than Zlatan? I was going to say sitting in, in LA, you know photoshopping pictures of his head onto a lion's body while the Swedish national team just walks to a World Cup victory. That would be the Ewing theory personified. Sweden actually, wait, they finished third, right, in um, in 94, I believe. So this isn't the farthest they've gone. And um, Them and Croatia are the most uh, seasoned international teams of the past two decades in this side of the bracket, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if Sweden somehow beats Switzerland, which, as you said, is a possibility, and England advanced beyond Colombia, I mean, really, I guess England's path to the semifinal really is kind of smooth. Yeah, the, I mean, you have to obviously beat Colombia, <laughs> which is right. not easy. But it, and then with Spain out, the the whole, you at least can understand the whole coming in second thing and why it why it made some sense. Obviously, it still had to play out this way for it to ultimately make sense, but... Also, Belgium almost lost to Japan, which is exactly. um, crazy. But I, but I mean, I think England's going to be favored in every game they play until the final, which is just a, a crazy thing to be said about a team that finished in second in their group, but here we are. Yeah. Uh, England versus, I mean, looking ahead, England versus Russia or Croatia would be kind of a very historically and narratively loaded semifinal. So, yeah. England Russia would be uh, extremely politically loaded (laughs) matchup too (laughs) that about wraps it up for today thank you Ryan thank you Donnie we'll be back tomorrow to talk about the matches until then peace
Today's episode of Ringer FC was brought to you by Lisa. Celebrate July 4th with a premium foam mattress designed, assembled, and manufactured in the U.S. of A. Lisa leveraged 30-plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to design the perfect mattress. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. So hurry up. The Lisa July 4th mattress sale won't last long. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash FC today. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash FC for $160 off.